Well, if you have your Bibles with you and you'd like to open them with me, I'll be in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew and chapter 8. It is good that Jesus is Lord. That is what we're going to talk about um, today and uh, really what that means. Um, But before we do that, we need to introduce Julia and Austin's, or Austin and Julia's new baby, Huxley Lucille Grant. Yeah. (laughs) Stupendous. So we're so thankful for them and glad for them and rejoicing with them. Hey, so as we look at Matthew chapter 8, what do you want for Christmas this year? And I asked that question last week, and maybe some of you had something come into your mind that you'd like right away and know for sure. Uh, Probably a lot of you don't know what you want for Christmas this year, and so when a loved one asks you, what do you want for Christmas this year, you give them the really helpful answer of, I don't know. And we we said with, um, from Ecclesiastes, we really learned that maybe a more joyful question is, what can we be thankful for rather than what do we want? Uh, It will lead to more fulfillment and more joy if we take, really take stock of what we can be thankful for. And that, that's what I'd like this series to do, is help us remember what we can be thankful for and the gifts that God gives us. These are not gifts that we give to God. These are gifts that God gives us. They are simply His grace. And so last week we saw the gift of taking, that Jesus came and took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Um, He came to take our sin and the curse and die in our place. This week, we're going to look at the second gift. And so, uh, here we are in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. And before I read, I would like to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, you are our Lord and, and we are your people. Lord, because you love us, um, come and speak to us in your word. Let us see where your word meets our lives. And Lord, I pray that while I'm in front, that you would stand in front. And while I'm talking, that you would talk over me. Lord, I pray that you would redeem this time and pull us towards yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I guess before I jump into the text, I just kind of want to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'll tell you, and then I'll tell you what I told you, but um, what I'm going to tell you is that Jesus is Lord, and so this is kind of what we've seen. This is like the big theme in Matthew 8 and 9 is that Jesus is Lord. Even at the end of uh, chapter 7, you see the people being astonished at what Jesus had taught, because in chapter 7, verse 29, he was teaching them as one who had authority. So Jesus taught with authority, and and you could just hear lordship coming out of his voice in a way that you couldn't with anybody else. And then Jesus cleanses a leper because his cleanness is so much bigger and stronger than any uncleanness. Then Jesus heals at a distance because he can. He can do whatever he wants to. Then Jesus casts out demons with a word because his word 
is more powerful than any earthly force. What you see again and again is Jesus' authority in Matthew chapter 8 and 9. We'll see that even in this passage as Jesus makes kingly demands, as Jesus commands the storm, as Jesus drives out demons again at the end of this passage. What you'll see is Jesus' unchecked authority over everything. So what should we do? I'm gonna, like I say, I'm telling you what I'm going to tell you. And then we'll tell you. And then we'll tell you what we told you. So what, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to follow Jesus. And so when Jesus comes and calls the disciples, he says, come, follow me. And, and we'll see that as a theme throughout this passage, is that we follow Jesus. And what that means, what Jesus means by come, follow me, that's not what everyone hears, but what Jesus means is unconditional surrender, unchecked obedience, and an unqualified yes, sir. I'll do it, sir, right away, sir. I thought Jesus was Lord of my life when I was in college, and then uh, I realized that Jesus was calling me to be a pastor. And when I was in college, I went into college knowing I wanted to do anything but be a pastor. I mean anything but be a pastor. I mean, there was one thing that I knew I would not do, and that was be a pastor. And when it really came home to me that Jesus was calling me to the ministry, I had to decide who was Lord. And when I signed up for Greek, Jesus was Lord of my life in a new way. Not because I was afraid of Greek. I don't mind doing hard things. But because Greek is a path into the ministry and I was taking a step down that path that I don't want to go down. That's the difference between a disciple that says, yes, Lord, right away, Lord, and a demon that has good theology but doesn't obey. So the difference between disciples and demons this is going to mess with you, okay? You're, you're not going to like this. You're going to push back against this, and rightly so. But demons know lots of true things about God. You'll even see that in this passage. The demons know true things. They just don't obey. Disciples obey. Right away. They don't say, in a minute, they obey. That's what you'll see. So what you're going to see as we read this is you're going to see Jesus' lordship, and then you get to see people deciding whether or not they're going to follow him. Now, this is going to mess you up even more than what I just said about demons and truth. We're going to have four points today rather than three. So please don't get up and leave after the third point because you think it's done. Four points rather than three. I know three is the perfect number, but I just had to. It's just the way the passage broke down. So I'm teasing myself, but you get the idea. So four points on following Jesus today. So here we go. 
Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. He gives orders because he is Lord. He gives orders because he is completely in charge. He didn't come to negotiate. He came to rule. When Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Like, remember, we said this is what it's about. We get to see whether or not people follow him. And this is what disciples do. They follow Jesus. And so this dude's like, sign me up. I'm ready. I'll sign the card. I'll come forward. I'll pray the prayer. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So this guy comes to Jesus and says, I'm in. I'm in. I'm ready. Sign me up. And Jesus says, are you sure? Have you counted the cost? Because here's the thing. Jesus does not promise comfort. He does not promise leisure, and he does not promise fun. He's like, are you sure? When Navy SEALs sign up, do they get promised three hot meals a day? When Army Rangers sign up, do they get promised a warm place to sleep at night? When the infantry sign up, when they get drafted, is part of the agreement you're home every weekend? Because the mission doesn't allow for that. They're on mission. They have a serious mission. And what Jesus is saying to this guy is, we have a serious mission to do, and I'm going to be on mission, and I am not going to have a home. I am going to be on mission until the end of the mission. And the mission is going to come first. So when we follow Jesus, what we got to remember is this is the mission that comes first. So Jesus does not promise comfort. But he does give strength to the weary. Jesus does not promise rest. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Jesus does not promise leisure. But he does offer rest to the weary and heavy laden. Jesus does not promise fun, that everything you do will be fun, but he does promise fulfillment, because you do what's most important, and you're on his mission. So when you think of following Jesus, I want you to think, am I ready to sign up for a mission where the mission is the most important thing in my life? Number two, on following Jesus, another of the disciples said to him, Okay, so is this just an outsider? Who is this? Disciple. So this is a disciple. Not every disciple understood what it meant to be a disciple. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. If you don't have that circled in your Bible, you might circle it like, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I am all in, but there's something a little bit more important, and it is burying my dad, which in that culture, of course, was, as in any culture, was a really big deal. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Really, really hard statement. But what Jesus is saying is, if something else is more important than me, then you're not following me. So if you have something you need to do first, what you're saying is that's more important and And that's not what it means to follow me. 
you know, you might be tempted to tell yourself, I'll follow Jesus. Like, I'll really give my life to Jesus after Christmas because I've got some stuff I need to do first. And that's not following him. You might say, I'll follow Jesus in the new year. New year's resolution, I'm going to start following Jesus. And that's not following him. You know, like in the spring, when it warms up outside, then I'll start following Jesus. And that's not following him. That's, that's having him be part of your plan for your life rather than you surrendering to his plan for your life. You know, some of us would say, I'll start following Jesus once I, get, once I have kids. You know, or I'll start following Jesus once the kids are in school. Or I'll start following Jesus once the kids grow up and get married and move out. Or, you know, we, we might say, well, I'll follow Jesus down the road in life when I have this or when I have that. And that's, that's not following. Following him is saying, yes, right now, right away, I'm going to follow you today. Is that where you are? Jesus is Lord, and so he can make demands that nobody else can make. And so he demands that we go on mission with him and that his mission be the most important thing in our lives. He demands that this happen right now. He demands that this happen, well, let's see. And when he got into the boat, remember he had commanded that they were going to go to the other side, his disciples, what's that next word? Followed him. That's what disciples do. They follow him. So he makes a command, and the disciples are the ones that get up and go. <clears throat> and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. The Greek word, I, I think this is, I, I think, I know you're, okay, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> it's going to be worth it. That's, that's what I was going to say. It's going to be worth it. So, great storm. Great is this word mega. That sound familiar? Mega. My kids used to watch something or used to play with something where there was a mega evolve. Like you went from a little guy to a big guy. I think, is that how it went, Asher? Mega evolve? Basically. I kind of got it wrong, but you got the idea. Really big, you know? Uh, and then this word is seismos, which is what we get our word seismic from. It was a great shaking. It's the same combination of words that's used in Matthew 28, verse 2, where it talks about the earthquake that happened, so the stone was rolled away. It's typically used of earthquakes. And what Matthew is telling us about this storm is it was a great shaking of the sea. Like it was really, really terrifying. So that the boat was literally in the Greek, under the waves. So you look up and all you see is wave. There's no sky up there. All you see is wave when you're at the bottom of it. And the sea is being shaken like with an earthquake. And you're under the waves, but Jesus is sleeping. And when they went to and woke him up saying, Lord, or save us, Lord, we are perishing. There's that word, Lord, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. Let me, let me ask. Let me ask. Don't, don't raise your hand, but just let me ask this. Is this a good prayer or a bad prayer? Save us, Lord. We are perishing. Yeah, I think it's good. What a great prayer. 
Watch what Jesus says. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? I want you to see the relationship between afraid and faith. When our fears go up, our faith goes down. And when our faith goes up, our fear goes down. And he says, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? See, when we're following Jesus, we can have faith over our fears that he's in charge, even when everything is shaking and completely, entirely out of control. We can remember that he's in charge, and he's good, and we're not. And so, 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 Look at me in a second here. I don't think Jesus rebuked them for waking him, waking him up. And I don't think he rebuked them for praying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. I think he rebuked them for the shrill in their voice that revealed the unbelief in their heart. Because they had to remember, like we have to remember, that Jesus is utterly in charge of everything, and if we have that belief, we don't need to live in fear. Hey, is it, is it just me, or does it seem like December holds the worst storms? And by that I mean life storms. Because we have this expectation that everything will be awesome at Christmas time. And life should be good and peaceful and right at Christmas time. And then when stuff goes wrong at Christmas time, everything seems like it's exacerbated or mega when the shaking takes place. And so you see the empty chair, and you're like, that chair should not be empty. They should be here. And it's a mega shaking of your life. You see the mountain of bills, mountain of bills, where you look up and all you can see is bills. Like, how are we going to have gifts this year? How are we going to do that? When you see someone you love making choices that can't be unmade again and again and again, and you see them just holding down the self-destruct button, and you're so afraid for them. I'd invite you to pray the prayer the disciples prayed. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And pray it until the shrill goes out of your voice and you can pray it in confident faith. The men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? He is Lord. His disciples follow him in confident faith. And so they make it across the sea. Do you remember Jesus commanded, we're going to the other side of the sea? Turns out, even with a storm, they made it to the other side of the sea. And when he came to the other side, the country of 
the Gadarenes. And so if you have a map in your Bible, you can see Gadara is here. It looks like they had access to the Sea of Galilee through Gergesa up here. Capernaum is over here, so when it says they went to the other side, it's like traveling from this side to this side on the Sea of Galilee. Two demon-possessed men met him. Now tell me if you'd be creeped out. So they go to this Gentile territory. We know because they have pigs. The Jewish people would not have owned pigs. Two demon-possessed men met him. Where were they hanging out? In the tombs. Think caves where you would go to put the bodies until they decompose and then put them in an ossuary box or a bone box and then they would rest with your relatives. They're in these caves with decomposing bodies. These are scary guys. So fierce that no one could pass that way. Like, this is a route people avoided because of these two guys that are full of demons. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So, remember earlier I said demons know true things. They know a day of judgment is coming when they will be cast into the lake of fire they know that their eternal punishment and eternal damnation is coming, but that doesn't mean they obey. So they ask, aren't you a little early? <laughs> and the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Okay, pretend you've never heard this story before. You think Jesus should do what the demons ask him? I mean, would you do something a demon was asking you to do? I wouldn't. That usually goes bad in the Bible. So if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. Brendan pointed out this is just like the centurion. The centurion says, he, you know, he's talking about his authority and talking about Jesus' authority, and the centurion says, this is earlier in chapter 8, he says, I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to that one, come, and he comes. I say to this one, do this, and he does it. Jesus says to the demons, go. And they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. And you're kind of left scratching your head going, why does Jesus hate pigs? <laughs> At least I am. And the herdsmen fled. You're like, we better report this right now. Mark 5 tells us that 2,000 pigs died that day. 2,000. How many? That was life, somebody's life savings. 2,000 pigs the herdsmen fled. Going into the city, they told everything, especially that it wasn't their fault. <laughs> especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they're like, Jesus, please stay. We want someone that has power over demons. Is that what they said? Like, you, you know the story. And they begged him to leave their region. Okay, so 
Almost everyone I talk to or read on this passage thinks they have to explain why Jesus would send the demons into the pigs and the demons would drive the pigs down the hill into the lake and have the lake swallow them up and them drown and die. Imagine, imagine you're one of these folks that own the pigs, and you know that you're part of the city, and you come out, and I don't know if you know, if you've seen pictures of the Sea of Galilee, but it's it's like in a bowl, and so it's down here, and then there's there's high banks on both sides. So imagine imagine you come up over the hill, and you come where you can see the water, and you see all the pigs floating in the water. We were with a family that we love, and um, the mom says to the the young the young boy, um, "Time for bed," and he shouts, "Why?" And <laughs> uh. People in authority don't always owe an explanation to people not in authority. Okay? So Jesus doesn't owe an explanation to the people on why he did that. So you and I are tempted to say, why in our angriest voice when Jesus does stuff, and you know what? He's not, he doesn't have to sit down across the table from us and try to justify himself and say, well, I made this decision because, and then kind of walk through the steps. He doesn't have to do that. And, and we're, not, we're not entitled to know why Jesus does stuff. So there are going to be questions that you have about stuff that happens in your life that Jesus just doesn't owe you an answer on. He just doesn't. Like, so, so I'm not going to tell you, I know the secret. Even though the Bible doesn't tell me why, I know why, and I'm going to tell you why. Because I have secret knowledge. I'm not going to tell you that. I don't know why. But what we can see in this passage, and in your life, and in my life probably, is we can see ways that God redeemed the situation for good. So, Imagine you're these two possessed men and you're standing there on the banks of the Sea of Galilee and you finally like come to clear consciousness and you look out and there's 2,000 pigs floating in the water and you say, that was inside of us and now it's not. We weren't making that up. That wasn't just our imagination. That wasn't a bad dream. That was inside of us, and now it's out. Praise God. Everyone can see how destructive and evil these demons are, and wow, I'm glad that's out and over and behind us, and let's move on and fill our lives with something better. The second way that this might be redeemed for good is now everyone can be clear that the folks there valued pigs more than people. 
they had to face that, like we're going to drive Jesus away because he killed all these pigs, saving these two guys' life. And the demon-possessed, the formerly demon-possessed men knew that. Everybody knew. Everybody could face their priorities. It also points forward to when is Jesus allowed these demons to drive the pigs down into the lake and the and the pigs to die, it points forward to the day that we talked about earlier, the day when Jesus will cast the demons and Satan and the horde into the lake of fire and they'll be forever destroyed. We could see good that comes out of it, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean we have the whole why. And God doesn't owe us an answer on why, it's not our job to demand an answer. It's our job to submit to his authority, to surrender to his lordship. So here's what we've said. We said Jesus is Lord. And so what we do because he is Lord is we follow him. We follow him on mission, that this mission is the most important thing in our life. We follow him right now, not, not next week, not tomorrow, not at this next life stage. We follow him now. We follow him over our fear through our fear, in spite of our fear, having our faith grow, and we follow him in spite of our questions, even though we don't understand all the whys. We follow him. So, so our first gift was what God does for us, and it is a gift of taking from Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And our next gift is that he came to reign. He came to reign. And so when you see Jesus lying in a manger, you know why he came. He came to reign. He, he didn't come to negotiate with evil. He came to conquer it. He didn't come to find a middle way. He came to be the only way, the truth and the life. He didn't come to bring balance between good and evil. He came to eradicate evil. And the day is coming, like, like, back, like back in Matthew chapter 8, when they're in the terrible storm, and they wake Jesus up, and he says, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The day will come when he will arise and rebuke sin and death, and there will be a great peace and everything will be right and new and we will sing with the angels peace on earth and goodwill towards men we look forward to his return and making all things right and new so what can we be thankful for we can be thankful that he reigns we can be thankful that he is utterly, fantastically, wonderfully in charge and that he is good. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and do your work in us and help us. And Lord, I pray that you would keep moving us towards yourself and Lord, that you would take our, help us take our next step in following you. Lord, I, help, I pray that you'd, if there are any here that just don't believe in you, 
Lord, that you would help them cross the line of faith and believe you and accept you as their Lord and Savior, that they'd surrender their lives to you, that you would forgive their sins and make them new. And Lord, for, the, for those of us who believe and think of ourselves as disciples, Lord, I pray that you would help us take our next step of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.